0: Thanks for joining us again here at the Grief Observed Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Morell. As always, I would like to invite you to be on the podcast. Uh, contact me here at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com or find our Facebook page. Uh, we can chat about someone you've lost in your journey through grief. My guest today is Gail. Gail, welcome to the podcast. Thank you yeah I appreciate you being on here and uh just being willing to share a little bit about not only your grief journey but uh, how you're actually helping others through grief. so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: okay well um, I've been in instances of grief most of my life um, I grew up in the um, mountains of Appalachia, and um, of course, my family was fairly poor, but my mom and dad always made sure that we went to school and and, and got an education. So there's ten of us, and I'm the youngest, and um, we we all at least graduated high school. Several of us, met, uh, you know, continued on and and had education past that. Uh, the first time I remember a death in my family was my grandmother, my mother's mother, and of course I was only about eight years old, so I didn't understand at all, you know, about why everybody was upset and crying, and then when I was in high school, um, I was about 17 years old, and um, a guy that I had, um, you know, sat with in church, and we were just, you know, really just friends, but you know, we claimed each other as sweethearts and stuff. He he had gotten away from the Lord and died of a drug overdose. So mm. that was really hard to accept and carried a lot of guilt with it. And then um when I was 18 years old and, and I'm a nurse, so I was in clinical training uh, for the LPM program through my high school. And um my father committed suicide and I was actually the one who, found him and um again there was a lot of guilt and a lot of what ifs and i should have and those sorts of things to go along with that but um if it hadn't been hadn't been for god in my life i couldn't have gotten through those at all
0: yeah Uh, that's uh you know you, you were talking about your your grandmother passing whenever you were eight years old um did you go to that funeral?
1: My dad's funeral?
0: No, no, sorry. I think you cut out just a little bit there. No, your grandmother's funeral uh whenever you yeah, were 8.
1: I went, but I I don't remember a lot about it. Uh you know, it was just I I don't I don't remember a whole lot about it. Um I just remember my mother being really sad and I, I wanted to help her, you know.
0: Yeah. So you went through a couple of losses, you know, before you were even 18 and you know there's yeah. there's a lot of people I think that don't experience many losses before, you know, being an adult, but uh how old were you when your father passed away?
1: I was 18 and I was in nursing school.
0: Oh, so you were 18 at that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, wow. but I, you know, um <laughs> I just graduated high school, he, he, he committed suicide on February 2nd, and uh, I graduated high school, you know, the preceding June, um, and I was doing, doing the clinical portion of the LPM program for, through my high school, but, you know, you had to go the following year to do the clinical part, so that's what I was doing when that happened, and, um, so, you know, that was a, it, it did make a big impact on me. And I remember, you know, the shame of it. I remember um feeling guilt and, and thinking I could have done something.
0: Mm. I think that's um, something common, especially with suicide. You right. know, the, the people who are left behind have that thought of, could I have said something? Could I have done something? And my answer to them generally is no. And you know it's um, I think we should encourage everyone in our lives, but I, I think too, when someone has that thought on their brain, there's not much anyone else could say and and they're usually very private about it. like there's the people that come to my office that speak about thoughts of suicide are reaching out for help and and I'm okay with that. you know, tell me those thoughts. The people who never speak about it generally are the ones that um, follow through. I, I don't know. Did did your dad have depression or anything in his life?
1: Well, you know, he was there. Ne- of course, back at back in the in those days, um, you know, people you know people didn't talk about it really, right? Um, and my dad never. He really never said anything definite about it but he did I mean he did some a few things that might have pointed in that direction like he changed the place that he wanted to be buried and um you know and and his his demeanor changed a lot he he uh he and my mother would always fuss a lot (laughs) and he he that that winter he started you know telling her how, how good her cooking was and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is different, you know. Mm. Um, but he he was depressed. He had had, he had had some heart issues the fall before and um, had been in the hospital for that. And they'd started him on medications for his heart and also for depression. Uh, but the medication they started him on, it, it didn't help him really. And it was a really bad winter. My dad was a very active man, even though he was older, he was very active. And he couldn't get out and do mm-hmm. things that he was used to doing because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And so he he was he was very depressed. Um uh, I mean, I didn't recognize it. You know, I was 18, I wasn't paying attention to him. Uh I was doing my own thing, you know.
0: Up. How did that differ from your two other losses you mentioned? You, you lost your grandmother, you lost a, a sweetheart. Um, how did your father's death differ from that?
1: Well, um, well, the the loss of my grandmother, I mean, you know, it registered on on me, but it, it wasn't very impactful to my life overall. The other two were, um, my father, especially, um, you know, it, it was a a change in our whole household. Of course, financially, there was a change. Um, and also, you know, um, the things that he was used to doing outside, my mother and I then had to take care of, you know, Mm. and my mother Came became a little bit more needy for, as far as my relationship with her went. You know, she she kind of clung to me a little bit more than she had been, and it was difficult, you know, for me because, of, of course, being a teenager, I wanted to, you know, have relationships outside the home rather than being at home with my mother. Sure. Um, so you know those things were were difficult, and also uh, the funeral for my father was was pretty much a nightmare um, because the the place where he went to church the the pastor preached the funeral and he essentially condemned <laughs> him to hell mm. because he committed suicide. So that was, a, that was a thing. I mean, and my brothers weren't in church at all. And a lot of them won't go to church even now because of that. Um, and so it, it impacted my family a great deal. Um, and I think probably my older brother carried, carried a lot of guilt about it because he and his wife were separated and he left left the area without telling anyone and dad was worried about him. And so I think he carried a lot of guilt about it too. So it impacted our family a great deal. And me, as far as being a caretaker for my mother, uh, <laughs> you know, I had to pay a lot more attention to her. Sure. And so, um, you know, those things were all very difficult to work through and, uh, you know, I, I, I took every chance I could to try to find a reasonable, adequate answer to things. And, you know, the, the thing I think that God let me know was that, you know, someone who commits suicide is really no different than somebody who has high blood pressure or diabetes or other disease and really don't take care of themselves. He, he's a victim of depression, which is a real disease. You know? Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, so we really can't blame him or, you know, say that he was in his right mind when he um when he did that. And, you know, it was just a matter of we didn't have the tools to help him, you know.
0: Yeah, I um, think that's very important. Yeah. Um... You know, you're, you're talking about this, uh, pastor that condemned your father, you know, that was preaching the funeral, I guess. And that's, uh, that's very unfair, you know, and, um, I, I grew up in a church like that myself. That was, you know, that was, um, they might as well have said that was the unpardonable sin, you know, and, and. I don't believe that to be the case, you know, in my adult life. I I know that uh, especially working with mental health that people get to a place where they're they're not thinking properly, they're acting impulsively and um you know, whether you you state that it's right or wrong to do that, um it it doesn't make it any different than the right or wrongs that you and I do today. You know, if i pass by, you know, somebody that needs food, um, that's a sin, right? That's, uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: and there, there's, if we,
1: if we eat too much, that's a sin and I'm guilty, you know? <laughs> well,
0: yeah, we live here in the South, so, you know, we're all guilty of that. <laughs> right. one. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I think it's so easy to, condemn people no matter what they're going through whether they're they're living or dead and and state that you know they should have done this they could have done this you know blah 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 and i don't think that's very fair you know it's uh only god judges right we i exactly. mean humans judge but we don't have the right to i'll say that
1: exactly Exactly. well and and i mean um as you say, some people fight depression so hard that, I mean, I've seen it, you know, they've been depressed for 20, 30 years and they get tired of it. Just, they get tired of fighting that off, fighting the feeling off. And some people just give up, you know? Right. Uh, I've seen that happen and, you know, just just to say that is, is, is like you say, very unfair. And I I believe with my whole heart that even if, you know, it's our last thought, if we call out to God, he answers.
0: Yes. Yeah. We never know the the condition of a person's heart at the moment they pass. You know, I had a really good friend of mine, uh, you know, one of my best friends ever, and he passed away at 38. And it's been 12 years ago and you know before he passed like he he was not a church goer but probably about 6 weeks before he passed he said can i go to church with you and i'm like absolutely and i remember him stating as we walked in the church doors he's like do you know it's been 20 years since i've been in church and i'm just like wow it's that's crazy you know and um it was 6 weeks later he passed away and he actually wrote a song. Um, it's so weird. He he told me one day that I would have to finish it. And, and I don't think that was any, uh, thought of his that, you know, that uh, he did not end his own life. It just, he had a heart issue and, um, just passed away very unexpectedly. But, uh, you know, there's part of me that wonders, did he know, since he said, hey, you may have to finish this song, um, or if he just didn't know where to take this song to, you know, but the song was about God, and it's like he was alone when he passed, and I just, I've always wondered, what was he thinking, what were his final thoughts, Um, I strongly believe that he was a firm believer um, even though he, he didn't go to church every Sunday and, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be in church every Sunday to get to heaven. Right. <laughs> yeah. So
1: well, our relationship with God is a personal one, definitely. And we don't know what's going on inside the person's mind and heart, you know, and that's right. So, we, we can't judge them by our, our own standards or our own life because um, it may be totally different. And so I, I'm, that's the reason I'm thankful that God is the one who judges me. And I don't say that lightly. I say that, you know, with all seriousness because, but, you know, I, I know that people, when they judge, they judge according to their own standard usually. And, and that's not the way I want to be judged
0: right and you know even the way we approach people in their own grief journey we see their grief journey through our own lens and that's yes. a, it's very unfair you know as yes. opposed to stating um i always joke about it but you know one of the things therapists say the most is how does it make you feel and it's it's a completely right. valid question because exactly if I just say, wow, that must really hurt, or you must be really depressed, like I'm pushing my beliefs, my lens on somebody else. And that's completely unfair.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we, we each have our own individual backgrounds. We have our own personalities. We have our own way of of assessing things. Um, And so, you know, God knows us (laughs) and he knows our, how how our heart is focused Yes, and and I'm so thankful for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So Um, I know you've experienced a lot of other losses and that's one of the things that, that I noticed when I found you on, uh, one of the websites out there on Facebook, one of the groups and, you had mentioned several losses in life, not, not just your grandmother, not just your sweetheart, not just your father. You've had multiple losses. Tell me more about some of the people that you've lost in life.
1: Well, after my husband and I got married within a couple of years, uh, I had gotten pregnant and, um, I miscarried two pregnancies. Um, so for me, that, that was, uh, that was really more personal than, than anything else I had gone through. And it was, you know, it was something that I saw as a gift of God that I had lost, you know, that, that anyway, and I, I actually got really angry with God over, over the the two pregnancy losses. And, and I was working as a nurse in the hospital and I would, would walk through pediatrics and this is a case of me judging others by my own experiences but you know there would be babies there in the in the pediatrics area and their parents wouldn't be with them and you know they were crying and and it just it broke my heart I was and I kept telling God you know I would be a good mother uh, you know and uh, so I I ended up I had, there was six years between my last pregnancy and when I got pregnant again. And I ended up coming to the place that I told God, I said, God, you know, I will serve you no matter what. Um, And it was at that point that God directed me and my husband to start taking in foster children. We were, we were doing that as, um as an emergency thing, because I really didn't feel like if I had a foster baby that I could let go, let them go back to a bad situation in, you know, or, or whatever. If I, I knew that maybe their, um, biological parents weren't really taking care of them in, in the appropriate way. But anyway, God, um, God, I think the scripture is in Proverbs, or no, it's in Isaiah, I think, that it says to enlarge your tent. And that, that was the, the the scripture that God had given me at that point. And so um, we, my husband and I, we eventually started doing long-term foster care, but we did it with teenagers. So now I have two adult children who who still call me mom. Nice. They still come and visit me. And I, I go, I go see them, and you know, I have their their children as grandchildren, and I have great grandchildren <laughs> because of them. Yeah, and, yeah. And so, God bless me more exceedingly abundantly above anything I could have ever thought or ask um, with with those children.
0: I think it's so neat. Like I, I love fostering an adoption and what i tell people cuz i've i've got a good friend of mine who um i think struggled with the fact that he was adopted for you know many years he struggled and right. what i told him i think it's very cool to be adopted and the reason is he was a choice you know my my family they had me and they're kind of stuck with me. <laughs> you know they didn't <laughs> yeah. I, it's just you know, God gave them me and they didn't, uh, they weren't able to select me, hand select me, you know? So right, I right. think adoption and foster care is very special. And, you know, you think from a Christian standpoint, we're all adopted. We're all, uh, exactly. foster children to, to God, right? It's, right, uh, right. we are selected. And yes. I think that's a, a very special thing.
1: Um, and and I did eventually. I mean, <clears throat> did eventually get pregnant while we were doing the emergency foster care. <clears throat> uh, I got pregnant again, and and God blessed me with a beautiful, beautiful little girl. Ah. And when she was one year old, was when we we started taking taking in teenagers as a uh, foster children, and uh, so her you know she she had she had those siblings around her when she was young and um they they became her brother and brother and sister you know so she um i remember when when uh, the girl left she went to live with her her sister um in in another part of the state and it just tore my daughter all to pieces she was like my sister i miss Oh. I mean, the you know. Uh, because they were both so good to her. I mean, and and her foster brother was the only one when she was a baby who could get her to smile or laugh, you know. So when we did pictures, we had to get, get him to help us to get her to smile because her dad and I couldn't do it, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, and and just we just have some wonderful memories with with them and her. And you know, and she grew up knowing them as her siblings, and not as a foster sibling, but as as her brother and her sister. Nice. Uh, so you know, um and and you know, so that that was that was a wonderful experience, and that's one thing that God always does. If if we can just keep that in mind. Um, when we're going through hard times, is that he he takes what what Satan intended for evil and he turns it around to good. And I mean Romans eight twenty eight is one of my favorite scriptures. And it's that you know, and we know that God, um, God in you know he he turn, turns things around so that it all turns out to be for our good. So definitely, um, yeah. I mean, you know, and and that's true in death too. And um, uh, you know, I, I uh um I lost my, my dad when I was eighteen and then my mother um had Alzheimer's and um she she was she ended up not being able to take care of her, you know, for me I, I was taking care of her for about five years and then she ended up being full time care and my, do- my daughter was about eight, 13. And she, well, I kept her from the time she was about eight till she was about 13. And so at about 13, you know, my my mom was full-time care and I couldn't, couldn't take care of her anymore. So my siblings, I asked them and we all decided that probably, you know, a, uh, an extended care place was probably the best thing. But she lived 13 years in, in that ex- nursing home, you know, uh, not having any memory of any of us so that was a daily grief you know mm, yeah going to visit her and her not knowing us and wow. so um but she lived she lived for 13 years her body was strong but she you know her mind she doesn't she didn't know um, but God, God did several miracles through that, too. I remember, you know, one December, she was very sick, and then it, and they put her in intensive care, and there was this a snowstorm outside <clears throat> and uh, a very, very bad storm. And <clears throat> so I went down, you know, to intensive care, and one of the nurses I knew was taking care of her. So she told me, she said, well, go on home. I'll let you know. If anything happens, but my mother's blood pressure was way down, and I mean, I knew, you know, that unless God intervened, that she would not make it. And I went home, and my daughter was—I I think she was, and and uh, she she was there, and I told her, I said, you know, I I don't think I can stand to lose her right now, and um, so we prayed. And I didn't get a call that night when I went back in the next morning, her blood pressure was up and they were trying to, you know, they were getting ready to put in a a central line for her medications and things. And, you know, and she, she pulled through and God gave me about 10 more months with her, you know, because I didn't want to see her buried when the weather was like that. I didn't want to call my, my brothers and sisters come home because of the weather like that and God gave us more time and when she when she passed then it was so peaceful and it was so beautiful the weather was beautiful you know and we we got to you know enjoy being together because you know I I don't know you know uh, how many out there have, have has loved ones who have died from, after Alzheimer's, but it was a, a relief in a way with her that, you know, it was, it, I mean, it, it, I was ready when when it happened. I was ready and I was able to let her go.
0: Yeah. How would you describe that anticipatory grief versus, you know, a sudden death like your father? Like how was that different for you?
1: um well it, it, it's totally different i think because when you, when you have the anticipatory grief and you you know that the person is is suffering well like my husband too um it makes you able to let go easier and like with my father it was it was just so hard to work through that because of the so- social stigma and and You know the all all the all the what ifs that that came with that with my mother. I knew that she didn't want to be that way. You know, she she was at seventy five. She was still hand mowing, push mowing her own yard. You know, wow. Um, And and so she didn't want to be that way. She wanted, you know, she, she wanted to be up and about and doing things and not not there in that bed, you know. Um but, you know, and and when when you have someone that's in pain or in a situation like my mother, I think a lot of times we we prepare ourselves as as well as we can. I mean, it's always worse than what we ever think it will be. But it, you know, with with that at least you're able to Kind of get your own emotions and thoughts and concerns in order before they they die and um, and like i said a lot of that feels like relief you know because your your parents or whoever it is they're not suffering anymore they're not in a position that they don't want to be in and so you're you're, you're glad for them you're happy for them i mean and I, you know i'm happy for anyone who dies in the lord but you know but you you know that they're they have to be up in heaven dancing a special little jig you know (laughs) Mm. Uh, just you know they're just happy yeah be out of that and i you when you know that i mean you have your own you miss them and you're lonely for them but when you know that then it's hard to to cry for them you know
0: yeah, I've, I've got a friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends who states, he, he called me up, he lost his mom and dad and stated, you know, Brad, just pray that your parents drop over of a heart attack. He said this, both of his parents had dementia and at, at the same time, he, he said, this is just grueling to watch and to be a part of, and here you're stating, you know, your mom, uh, lived in a nursing home for 13 years and you know didn't know you all well or at all in in a lot of those time periods and that's got to be so tough to watch but i i understand what you're stating that there is a relief when they're no longer suffering they're they're no longer um unaware of things and and like you stated as a believer that changes everything you know that's uh they're they're way better off
1: exactly exactly well and and um I also had my mother-in-law and father-in-law to die with, under tragic circumstances too wow. um, my my father-in-law had cancer of, of the sinuses and he went in for surgery to take the the tumor out and he um I you know he he suffered a major heart attack. After the surgery, um, when they extubated him, um, I guess he was still struggling a little bit and and suffered a major heart attack and wow. um, and, and passed away from that. And then my mother in law, she was, she she died after my father in law, um, but she was also having having struggles with dementia, and um, she had gotten to the point that. Mm, we we wanted to bring her home with us. Uh, she lived like three and a half hours away, but she wouldn't come. She she's a very independent thinking woman, which is good because you know it makes her fi- fight harder to be, you know, to do be independent and be be herself and you know do what she needs to do for herself. And I you know I appreciate that, but uh, she had refused every kind of care. If we, we hired a caretaker for her during the day, she would fire them. <laughs> she would allow yeah. them there at night, but not during the day. So, Gail,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, she eventually, the day my husband was checking on nursing homes for her in the area where she lived, she it was in August, and she got into um, the family car they had parked in you know beside their house and apparently the locks got stuck or whatever, but she died of a, a heat heat exposure. Uh, wow. So, you know, and that was, it was just so uh, so tragic and so hard to get through, you know, with both those deaths because they were sudden and they were, even though they were both not healthy really, but, you know, they were able to function. Uh, so it, it was, it was a very, very difficult time for both of them. And, and um my husband was an only child. So, you know, the responsibility kind of fell to him to take care of everything. And um it was just, it was very difficult.
0: Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're, you're good. You know, you've gone through a lot of loss and some we've still not touched on yet that we'll get to, but I've not asked this question of anyone because I don't know that I've spoken to anyone that's uh, expressed so much loss in their life, but is there any part of you that is jealous of someone who's not had loss like you've had?
1: Um, At times there has been a little, especially like after the death of my husband, I would be like, um, I would say a couple on the street or something and it would be like, you know, I would wonder why. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, because of those early losses, I was able to understand that God does that there's a reason that God does bring good from what looks like is bad. And that he he is working things out. For me to to use those things that I've gone through to help other people. And so, uh, you know, I know a lot of people didn't understand what I was going through, but you know, um, I also knew that God, God had it in control, you know, that he was he was, he, he would take care of me, that he would be my father.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you've, uh, alluded to the fact that that you lost your husband as well. Would you like to speak about that?
1: Well, that, you know, his death was, um, it it was fairly quick. Um, and, um, he was 59 and I was 56 when, when he died. Um, so, you know, as far as a lot of people, it was a, it was, you know, he was young. So, yeah. yeah. But um, my husband was also very well known in the community. He was a, he was an educator in an in, um, elementary and middle, middle school principal for you know for the most of his career um and then after he retired from that he he became the principal of the christian school where i live and um he was doing that when when he um found out he had the cancer um he he loved children more than anything and uh, the children loved him <laughs> um I've had I had I don't know probably a thousand people contact me after he died and told me things that he did that he did didn't tell anybody else about to help help his staff with their careers you know uh hire people that that couldn't find a job um a lot of the kids have come come to me or Sent me messages about what he did for them, and and uh, I had a young man uh, several years ago who told me that that and he was always in trouble in school. <laughs> um, that told me that that my husband was his mentor after he got older and started to want to figure out what he was going to do with his life. That he wanted that when he looked at at what he. What he wanted to be like, he wanted to be like my husband. Hmm. So, you know, he he was one of those people that he had the patience of Job, <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> and uh, and he was able to bring out the best in children when they were sent to him for discipline. He didn't he didn't just you know put them in timeout or whatever. He talked to them about why what they did was not the right thing to do. And gave them reasons, you know, and told them they needed that he believed in them and that they could do better. Hmm. And, and so for a lot of children, they had never heard those words before, you know,
2: right, right.
1: And so you know, a lot of them he had a great influence on, and um so when he but when he died, um of course, we had gone through the process and he he had worked until within two weeks of his death, because hey, they just loved those children so much. He didn't want to stay away, and he worked through the pain. He worked through everything, and uh, then he started just getting so weak that he couldn't, and uh, of course, like with any cancer, we were looking for treatments, and but it progressed too quickly, and there was really not a lot we could do, and so, when he died, he was in the hospital because he was having um the fluid accumulation in his abdomen where his liver was not functioning. And they had to drain that off to keep him comfortable. Um, but the morning that he he uh, died, um it was on November fourteenth, um, they the nurse said I thought I thought he was unconscious, honestly. Uh the nurse had come in early that morning and told me that his potassium level was way high I mean and it you know it could stop his heart itself right so they tried to tried to treat it and um then they did another another level and it had not come down any it actually gone up more and he asked do you want me I mean we we had already discussed him not being resuscitated and everything but, you know, it's these little decisions that I think a lot of family members are not prepared for, even though, you know, you say, no, don't resuscitate him. You know, if um, if he stops breathing, don't do anything. Um, because, you know, unless God intervenes, he, he's not gonna live. And we'd already done that. But the the nurse came back in and said, do you want to treat him again? And so I, I said, give me a few minutes. Let me talk to my daughter. So I talked to her, and she said, well, why not we ask that? And I said, I think he's unconscious. But I went over, and I spoke to him, and he roused up. And I told him, I said, um, you know, I told him what was going on. And I said, do you want treatment, or you just want to be left comfortable? And he said, comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, honey, you know that means you're going to go home to see Jesus. And he said yes. I said okay. And so we didn't treat him anymore. He was on hospice care, so he was getting some pain medication. But it was on the weekend, and he was not getting enough. Um, but then the hospice workers came in and increased the pain medication, and uh, and he, you know, he he got comfortable. And I, but I could. My pastor was there, and my one of my brothers was there, my daughter was there. But I could just feel the presence of God so heavy in that room. It is, it's like something I, I have never felt before mm. or since. It was like a blanket just wrapped around me. And I, I mean, I could, I just started praising God because I could, you know, I could just. It wasn't a vision, but when I closed my eyes, I could see, <laughs> I could see the saints in heaven, kind of gathered around it. It looked like an oval um, balcony, <laughs> mm. and they were they were they were saying, "Come on, James, you've almost made it. You've almost made it. You know, come on, come on." And that's what I could see when I closed my eyes.
2: Hmm, that is nice.
1: <laughs> and I just. I mean, I, I I couldn't I couldn't I was crying but I was crying really because I I could kind of see what he was going to go to you know, and um, so the presence of God really gave me great comfort yeah. during that day. and during the whole time, you know. Afterwards, you know, I could feel that and I, I that presence uh, for. for probably up to a year afterwards, you know, and I did grieve for my own loneliness, you know, and for the things, the extra things I had to do because I, I you know, I had to do his jobs too now. Uh, you know, it was hard. It was difficult to get through those, but I mean, as far as going to church and things like that, it it didn't bother me, you know, I I was able to do the things that I always done. I went back to work, like in, within a few days. As I was working as a school nurse, and I went back to work within a few days, and I was able to work. Hmm. Of course, I think I think the principal probably has scared some of the students to be good to me because I didn't have as many students coming in to my office. But I was I was able to work, you know.
0: So there was a uh, mass healing at the school, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 exactly. Um, uh, that, you know, uh, it was, but it was just, it was just God. It was just the presence of God that did that for me. And and the, the fact that he made his own decision about it too, and I didn't have to make that decision. So I didn't have to carry the guilt.
0: Mm, on it. Good point.
1: Helped, helped a lot. Um, you know, and and he he was ready, you know, to go go see Jesus. So that that was just, you know, <laughs> there's not much you can say to that. <laughs>
0: no. So, Gail, let me ask you this. I, I know you, like I stated before, you've gone through a, a lot of loss in life. Uh, there's yeah. there's no denying that. But it it has kind of changed maybe the trajectory of your life and the fact that you you do help others. Um, before we punched to record today, you were talking about grief share. Um, sure. Why don't you? I, I've we've had somebody else who was deeply involved with grief share on the show before, but for new listeners, um, why don't you explain grief share and maybe the role that you play there, and uh, just you know, how someone could be encouraged or maybe you can encourage others to come to a grief share program in their neck of the woods.
1: Okay. Um, well, again, my story is a little different, I think than most people who are involved in grief share. I was, uh, I, after my husband died, I was going to counseling, personal counseling myself just to make sure that I was being healthy in the way that I grieved. Um, and I saw a friend who, who volunteered at the cancer center um, in the spring after after my husband died. And I was just out shopping and, and saw him. And um, he asked me about a mutual friend who, who also had lost her husband to cancer just a few weeks before. And I told him, I said, well, she's really struggling. And he said, well, I wish we had a grief support group in the area. And it was like God turned the light on inside me and said you can do this. So I started checking in the area and contacting mental health facilities and hospitals and funeral homes and everywhere I knew to check to ask you know is there is there a support group in the area and I found out that truly there wasn't um, any support groups. Wow. uh, In our area so one of the ladies I had contacted was a counselor at one of the mental health facilities and she had um, she was really eager to get a grief support group started and so she uh, she helped me and uh, she had was familiar with grief share because she had been a hospice counselor um, previously in in, um, in another city and um and um, so she was familiar with Grief Share. And uh, actually to facil- facilitate a Grief Share uh, ministry, you're supposed to be able to have gone through at least one series of sessions, which is 13 weeks,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, at, and and see how, you know, understand how it, it's presented and everything. But um, she she just called Grief Share. We got grief share going, we went to one session in a, a city nearby. <laughs> one one session and she just told told the people at Grief Share that, you know, we really needed it in this area and that she she wanted, you know, to help me start it. And actually the the facility where she was working paid her to help me. <laughs>
2: mm.
1: So anyway, um so everything just kind of fell all together together real quickly and I was supposed to have been you know past one year mark and my grief before I did it but it was about 10 months like 10 months after my husband's death I was helping with grief share and um, again I, I really again I think that's because of the healing that I had received during my husband's during his death and and you know that God had just comforted me so much with that that I was able to do this. Uh, so anyway, um, we 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 got everything together and began um, began the grief share ministry at at my local church. Um, but grief share is a it's a thirteen week program. Uh, each week, uh, the the group covers a different topic like anger, regret, loneliness, um, you know, those, those sorts of things. So people mm-hmm. can people can come into the group at any time they want to. And then, you know, what they miss, they can pick up the next time. They can come back, you know, to the group the next time it's presented.
0: How many uh, people come to the groups generally?
1: Well, that first grief share, <laughs> we had about 16 people. Wow. I, uh, yeah. I I mean, and, I, you know, it, it's kind of bad to say, but I was like, I'm so glad that we're able to help that many people, you know, that it's needed. Usually I have just doing it by my, you know, facilitating by myself. I have anywhere from eight, 12 people. They really recommend that you only have about eight people so that it's a small group and that if you're, if there's just one person facilitating, you know, this one, one to eight is the ratio they, they like to have so that everybody will have a chance to participate in the small, the group discussions and, you know, right. uh, have adequate time to, to talk about what they want to talk about. Um, but uh, I I mean, I've done, I've done them before with just one person and um uh, you know but my, most of the time there's usually a, a, at least eight to 12 people who who participate um it is it is biblically based and but it's also clinically sound um and even people who are not christians can attend and i actually encourage that there's enough practical things in a grief share that it, if even if someone doesn't Believe in Jesus as a the savior; they can get enough practical help from it, you know, to help them in their grief journey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've seen major life changes in 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 the lives of the participants who, who have been in, in the groups previously, and uh, it lets me know that God has done it again. He's turned what seemed to be a, a bad situation into something where I I comfort others with the comfort that I've received Mm,
0: one of my favorite uh, verses yeah yeah. absolutely
1: um yeah so so that's what God does and um and I I I just I love seeing the healing in in people's lives um I've seen some very very raw uh grief um people losing children and um, tragic accidents, and people losing parents and uh, sure. just very raw, you know, and God has ministered to those people through this group. It's very it's very uh, well put together. It's um, very organized. Um, and you know if if you've been through grief, and want to do something to help someone else. This is a great way to do it, um, and uh, it, it's linked to to your local church. So you know uh, your pastor has to approve uh, for you for you to do it, and and you know you have you need the support of the local church to do it to help you with with some of the things uh, in there like the promotions and and things like that um but it's a wonderful ministry and i i just i just have moved myself and um back to the area where i grew up and i'm getting getting ready to start a grief share group uh, in early february i already have three people who have told me they're coming you wow. know nice. so it's not it's not hard it's not hard to get people to come i mean it, it's just it's something that's needed. It's something that, you know, people are hurting out there and they need a place to take it because take the hurt because they can't talk to their family. They can't talk to their friends about this because they just a lot of people have no understanding of it because they've not been through it. Um, and and a lot of people are just like, uh, suck it up, you know, and, and move on. Well, we can't move on, you know, right. until you get through this. We You have to go through it. You can't just shove it to the side and, and pretend it's not there uh, because whenever you stuff it, then there's going to be an explosion, as they say in one of the videos, and it's not going to be pretty. Right. Uh, grief is messy. It is a messy process to go through. And, uh, you know... A lot of people don't want to be faced with a mess, especially you know people around people who are grieving. They don't want to. They don't want to be caught up in that mess.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but the person who's grieving, they have to go through. That's the only way to be healthy. That's the only way, and I really don't know that the grief changes really i know that it gets less intense i know that that the uh, the ambushes what they call the ambushes of grief they right. get less frequent um but you always carry that grief with you you move you move forward but you don't move on um and the what you do what actually happens i think is that people build their lives around the grief so that the grief looks smaller but it's not really it's the same size um and so, so it feels less intense because you have more support and you're able to handle it better and know what to do you know when these these situations arise that you have the ambush and you know you get um those those feelings come back Uh, you're you're just better able to handle that Um, but that we we teach a lot of a lot of very practical things but one of the things that 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 we teach with or you know that we discuss with our participants is that the way how how to control and and I mean having emotions and, and all is very normal and 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 we all do and God created our emotions, and so it's not that emotions are bad, but rather than being overwhelmed, there's a fine balancing act there. Rather than being overwhelmed by our emotions and letting them paralyze us, we have to learn God's Word and use God's Word as, as, as as the assessment for the truth or untruth that our emotions are telling us. Yeah, um, and so so we focus a lot on on learning God's word and speaking truth over our lives, um, about what's going on, so that we're not controlled by our emotions, but we are controlled by the Word of God. Yeah, and uh, I, and that that's one of the things that I really uh, really appreciate about Grace Share, probably more than anything, is that that they guide you in that direction and mm. people learn, you know, um, people learn about, it's like Job said, um, near the end of the book of Job, he said, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you with my own eyes mm. yeah. because of what we went through. So we have a relationship with God before we go through grief, but grief helps us to really see God for who he is. Yeah. Um, And we learned, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. And we learned to lean on him.
0: Yeah. I know we're, we're closing in on our hour here, but I want to offer you any, any final words that you have, any final thoughts on, uh, on anything that we've not covered.
1: Well, one lady asked me, you know, um, a grief share, um, how, how I got through it. And, I I think, I think, the thing is knowing that God has purpose for your life still your loved one your loved one died but you have purpose you didn't die and so as long as there's breath in your body god has purpose for you and yeah. I think you need to be looking for that purpose that's what God has taught me through through my losses is you still have purpose so look for it You know, find out what you can do to help someone else. That's been a big part of my own healing. I didn't have to be healed before I facilitated grief, grief share. It was part of my healing too, to Mm -hmm. minister to someone else. And so when we do that, God, God heals us in the process.
0: That's great. Well, Gail, I I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing, you know, just about, your life, you know, your loss and and your grief journey, and and honestly, how you bless others through the grief share program, and I, I know that uh, you know your your blessings to others also spreads out into even more through you know their newfound ministry of helping others through grief. So it's uh, uh I, I jokingly say it's the best pyramid scheme in the world, you
1: know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Very true. It's not a
0: scheme though, right? It's, it's no, more of a no, blessing. No.
1: It's not, not, not a smoke and mirrors Ponzi scheme. It's a, it's a real thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But thanks again for being with us here. And, uh, I just, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing everything with us today. So if you've connected with Gail, I'll have her email address in there, uh, in the show description. Um, I'll also have a link to grief share where you can actually type in your, uh, your address and and find something that's close to you as far as uh, where grief share may occur in your city, and as always, uh, you know I'll have the show uh, Facebook page in there as well as our email address. Feel free to shoot me an email and uh, we'll get you on the podcast as soon as possible. But uh, I hope you've been blessed by this podcast, and I hope you join us again next time. Have a great day, everyone.